Each day comes with new opportunities and new challenges. Managing these stressors can be difficult, and one theme that keeps coming up in our discussions about mental health is resiliency. What is it, and how do we develop it? Today, we invited Chris Pretzel, doctoral psychology intern, to answer these questions and explore how we can implement resiliency into our own lives. This is Chris, Chris, and Cole. Welcome to the first installment of Relevant Resiliency. and people coming in and things of that nature. Yeah, we, yeah. we've been pretty swamped. I'm scheduling people like just <laughs> all over the place during seminars and other stuff just uh, just to keep um, really? keep people in, in and regular and yeah, getting the support they need. So we're, we're pretty busy. Well, so yeah, so what, like the whole thing we're going to talk about today is resiliency. Hopefully you're practicing some self-resiliency yep. um, <laughs> with everything going on. Um, share that with us because we need it. <laughs> yep. I know, I know. Well, it'll be interesting once school, like if they do get back into um kind of a more normal schedule in fall which you won't be here mm-hmm. yeah i'll be so, gone oh, yeah. so first we so. shouldn't even talk about this then <laughs> but no it'll be interesting just to mm-hmm. see i like, compare once we kind of start seeing fingers crossed we come out of the pandemic a little bit and we get to a little bit more back to quote-unquote normalcy you know the need for services mm-hmm. what go if it goes up how much it goes up i would say probably going to go up you know people are going to need those services and things like that so mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to compare because i think all the survey results we've looked at through like the acha and stuff um that's all pre-pandemic stuff mm-hmm. so could be interesting yep yeah so well chris i'm the first thing i want to ask is how do you pronounce your last name pretzel but i will accept pretzel <laughs> pretzel okay that's and, my thought do you have a do you have a relative named charles um i do not think so okay. unless a distant relative do you where know where that charles come is from? from because i know another pretzel <laughs> oh. or pre- did i say it right Pretzel, yep. Pretzel, okay, yeah. There's a bunch so. of us up in like the uh, upstate New York, like the Buffalo area. Huh. So, mm-hmm. how yeah. often do you make it up to upstate New York? Cole? Never, See, never. Yeah. Have, I, okay. have I ever done that? <laughs> you, you took your shot right away. Like, yeah. hey, I think we know somebody in common, and that did not. Uh, did not pan out quite well. Mm-hmm. No, it's worth no a well. shot, though. It, that's it's a Kansas trait. It really is. And I know you're from bigger city, Kansas, but I know whenever I find run into somebody, it's kind of like, um, oh, what is it? Six degrees, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Have you ever played that mm-hmm. game? Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's the same thing, but trying to piece people together that you have, you know, that you know each other in common. Oh, and you're so, from Dodge. Yeah. Do you know? <laughs> do you know so and so? No. And then it gets to where like your second cousin's vets sisters boyfriend's third cousin you both know and then it's like okay now i'm going along my day yeah so cool. <laughs> like you don't know this person like they went to this high school exactly. do you know anyone there and yep well you took your shot cool and you missed so um sorry but, charles yeah that's the guy that i know not you. <laughs> uh, all right so well chris I, why don't we start out just a little bit why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself how you ended up here at k-state how you ended up in the field of study that you're in um and anything you want us to know mm-hmm yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in New Jersey and then became interested in my teens in sports psychology. Okay. Just really got interested in, you know, the mind over matter concept. So like, what is that? How do people use it? How are people able to just overcome adversity, follow their goals and dreams and just really stumbled on sports psychology and it just kind of clicked. Ah. So like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to get into. Um, so I was a runner in high school um, and then had 
decided to follow sports psychology. So did my bachelor's at Arcadia University. It's a small school no one's ever heard of right outside of Philadelphia. Okay. Um, so just really loved the field and then was really lucky. I got a scholarship to study um, sports psych in Europe. So I got a Oh, wow. Completed a dual master's in schools in Greece and Germany. So Leipzig University in Germany and then Thessaly uh, in Greece, which is like dead center. So not right next to a beach, um, which is typically how I think of Greece, but just really yeah. had an amazing time there and was able to just learn from a lot of kind of the top minds in sports psych. So worked with athletes, helping them on the performance side, helping to improve and then had noon. I wanted to go kind of the counseling route. Um, um, a lot of the athletes I've been working with, it seemed like a deeper level of support was needed. A lot of just emotional support, mm -hmm. mental health support, mm -hmm. and our program was more performance-based. So decided to attend Springfield College in Massachusetts. Um, so had gone there. Uh, they had a big social justice focus, which I was passionate about, as well as opportunities with working with athletes. And then had was up uh, there for three years. And then as part of my program, we have a one-year internship before the program's completed. And so um, I had interviewed here with Dr. Cody Walls and some of the other staff really just loved kind of the feel of the environment and just felt like it would be an awesome place to work. And so I decided to come come work here for the year. Wow. You went you so from New Jersey um, to Europe, uh, was it Greece and mm -hmm. Germany mm -hmm. and then back to uh, was it Massachusetts, then to Kansas. Mm -hmm. So your interview with uh, Dr. Walls. Was that in person or was that virtual? That was virtual. So yep. when you step foot in Kansas to come and work here and continue your education, was that the first time you've ever been in Kansas? It was not the first time I've been in Kansas itself. It was the first like kind of instance flying here. I was in Kansas one other time. So actually I did a charity run across the US. And so Holy actually I ran uh, from California, put a foot in the Pacific Ocean, Ran all the way east through um, to New Jersey for my brother had a kidney transplant. So mm -hmm. I passed, I passed right through Manhattan. So that's also what drew me here as well. Wow. Um, it was back in 2012. Um, so I figured it was about eight years before I ended up working here, or seven years before I started working here. That's, passed through, never never knew this is where, yeah. where I'd be living. That's super Forrest Gump. I, <laughs> I've never met someone that's like Forrest Gump's the United States of America. I am trying to wrap my brain around a run that covered the entire continental United States of America. I couldn't run home. No. I live here. I don't like driving home, and it's like, I think I can make it to work in eight minutes. So um, so I guess I want to ask you, though, uh, growing up upstairs in New Jersey, um, sports psychologist, did you have any favorite sports teams that you would like to follow? Ooh, Philadelphia Flyers. Okay, you were I was a Flyers. big ice hockey fan. Okay. So the Broad Street Bullies, I Man. definitely supported them. And then mostly Philadelphia, the Phillies for baseball. Yeah. I was the wild card though is the Oakland Raiders. So I was okay. a Raiders fan before they moved to you know Vegas. So yeah. yeah. What what got yeah. you into the Oakland Raiders? So Rich Gannon, one yep. of their former quarterbacks, he went to University of Delaware, which wasn't too far from me. So um just kind of looked up to him and just kind of fell into the uh, Raiders nation. We'll have to do a little fact check, but I believe Rich Gannon also played for the Kansas City Chiefs um, for a part of his career. So um, we'll fact check that at the end. Don't look at me. I have no idea. Well, I think so. I think it so too. Valid. Well, well, that's amazing. Like I said, that is, like I said, you've covered so much uh, across the entire globe. I don't know how else to put it, but that's, that's awesome. Um, 
So you kind of answered a little bit, you know, about how you became interested in resiliency um, or, in, or in resilience. Did having that, so you said you were a runner, obviously you ran across the United States of America. Um, do you think that kind of kindled that passion for sports psychology? Did that help it out at all? Yeah, yeah, I, w I was using sports psychology every day. So mm -hmm. um, between like, you know, a lot of the sports psych is like psychological skills training. So that includes like resiliency, self-talk, confidence building, goal setting. So I, uh, I would wake up and have to use that every day when, you know, I was running like, you know, 20, 30 miles a day and just kind of, um, you know, it would feel overwhelming when you yeah. see I've got seven states to cover before I see an ocean. So just kind of breaking it down day by day and chipping away. I just wow. I got seven <laughs> states to cover. Like that sounds like a, a, a summer vacation that we're flying to or driving to. I got seven states to cover in the next week. But yeah, Chris mm -hmm. over here saying he's got to run those seven miles. Man, <laughs> that is amazing. That is fantastic. Um, so you like said already with this is resiliency is what we're talking about here. I think this is this is going to be part of our um, section of this podcast. Well, we're going to call it relevant resilience um, just to give people some tools some tips, some ideas on how to use resiliency as students. Um, while they're at K-State and beyond. And so with that, I was wondering, can you give us just, what do you mean when you say resilience? What's your definition of resilience? Mm -hmm. So resilience is a term you know, in, that's thrown uh, around a lot. And you know, we think a lot about resiliency often comes with like a layer of failure, a layer of like bouncing back or kind of overcoming adversity. So when I think of resiliency, it's, you know, persisting towards one goals while also having, you know, overcome challenge or overcome um, some negative circumstances with things. So the way I think about re resiliency is it's kind of two parts. And so first part is this idea of hardiness. Hardiness is similar to persistence, but includes these three C's of challenge, control, commitment. So challenge is, you know, leaning into challenge, um, feeling that one can grow, can flourish through challenges that occur. Control is a sense that, you know, I can control outcomes that happen around me. I can control and work towards my goals and make progress towards them. And then commitment, similar to motivation. I feel committed to working hard. I feel committed to putting in the time and that within that commitment, I feel it's going in that positive direction, which is going to help me get to where I want to be. And then as well as that piece of bouncing back from adversity is that, you know, challenges happen along the way. You know, it's not a straight shot to success and that failures do come. And within a sense of resiliency is, you know, bouncing back from those failures and still persisting and working hard towards um, whatever goals one may be working towards. Mm -hmm. Something that stood out to me about what you were saying was that like resiliency comes with failure. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when I think of um, like succeeding in life, it's not about it's about avoiding failure altogether, not like failing and then bouncing back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We often think about it like it's kind of this straight line that if I fail, either maybe there's something wrong with me or um, that, you know, I shouldn't fail. But, you know, if if you're if you're here, you failed. And so I think, you know, finding a way of like embracing that and finding a way to 
expect that at times and not allowing that expectation to fall into, you know, everything I, I work towards, I expect to fail, but it's rather the sense of having that flexibility and having that sense like there's going to be setbacks. It's kind of the reality of it. Let me expect the best, work towards the best, uh, but be flexible within that plan to make adjustments as things come. Mm. So there's a balance between mm -hmm. like always expecting failure and always expecting success. Mm -hmm. Yep. I do like the hardiness part of that. I think that's some of the first time I've heard that when it's been with resilience is hardiness. Because isn't hardiness, and correct me if I'm wrong, a term that they use for like plants and how well they can weather the winter? I don't know. I'm going to say maybe I, when I first heard it, I thought a Hardee's the place to eat. Oh, but mm -hmm. no, I don't think that's what we're talking <laughs> no, about. No, no, no. Um, but I did. So my previous uh, job, I worked uh, for the army and they have a big um, resiliency program called master resiliency training and how they train their soldiers in resiliency and with positive psychology and things of that nature. Um, and I'm thinking back, I don't think, and this course has been many years ago, I don't think hardiness was ever brought up. And so that's what caught my my kind of attention towards hardiness plus adversity. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a great way to put it. And hardiness, it is starting to kind of come to the forefront again. It originally came in like the 70s. There was a researcher, uh, I forget her first name, but Kabasa is her last name. Mm -hmm. She looked at it as more like a personality trait, mm -hmm. like people who are just have this higher level of hardiness. But what has been um, more recent, there's a great book that came out in 2019 called Hardiness by Stephen Stein, Paul Bartridge. It's a great resource. And so within that, they're looking more at like building hardiness as well as kind of the contextual aspects of it. And one of kind of the crux of hardiness as well is how one views stress. And so within that, they've found a ton of differences between people and just how they view stress and those who use stress more positively are those who are viewed to have more hardiness. And the distinction they make is that, you know, how do you view that stress, that challenge? Those that view stress as enhancing. So the sense that I do better because I experience stress versus the opposite as like stress is debilitating or stress is being something to avoid, they have vastly different outcomes. Mm -hmm. So those um, are down even to um, like the levels of the impact on your body. So in terms of like cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone. So those that view um, stress as being something that helps them, they have better health over time. Their concentration is better. They perform better by just this simple thing. And that within that compared to those that view stress as being something to avoid, something to, um, that harms them is that they have worse health. They get sick more often. They also are less likely to persist towards goals. Hmm. So is there is there a way, I mean, and I know I, I don't think it'd be easy if there is, to kind of switch people's perspectives and views of stress, you know, where you could see it as something to avoid as opposed to something that can help you rise to the challenge and overcome. Is there a process that, that, that it can be instilled so people can change that view? Yeah, there's a number of um, different ways. One process that comes to mind is, um, you know, self-talk mm -hmm. that, you know, we walk around throughout our days and, you know, we're, we have that internal dialogue going mm -hmm. on and, you know, our, in our internal dialogue, I think of it like a train, like that train's going to keep going down the same tracks it's been going on. So, you know, if it's going on that path of like, I need to avoid this, um, I don't like this, or, um, you know, I'm 
not going to perform well because I'm nervous, that train is going to keep going down those tracks. So self-talk, changing that can be a great way to change that perspective. So ways of doing that is thought challenging. So within that, um, a great way I like to do that is just with affirmations, like identify what are the negative thought patterns that are occurring. Um, sometimes it can be, I'm going to fail. Um, I can't get a good grade on this test. And within that, just take an index card on that index card, write down, you know, maybe three short statements on there, ones that make you feel more positive. And that whenever, you know, you recognize you're on that train track again, just pull that out. Um, I recommend, I work with athletes a lot. So I recommend like putting that, you know, in their equipment bag, just pulling that out for, you know, students, maybe that's putting that in your wallet, mm -hmm. um, putting it somewhere where you're just going to see it more often. Sometimes that can be, you know, putting it on a mirror, putting it on your door. So that way, you know, every time you're leaving your apartment, you see those um, statements again. And the more, you know, your mind is exposed to them, the more those new train tracks are rebuilt and the easier it becomes for, you know, that to take that different um, track with your mind. I like that analogy. Yeah. The Great of thought. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> it reminds me, this is going to be stupid, but mm -hmm. people listening will know what this is like shark boy and lava girl. The, Either of you heard of it, haven't seen it. Okay. It's about things, like yeah. uh, going into your dreams and one of the places that go is the train of thought. It brought images of that for me. Nothing. Never heard Never of it. Heard now, of it. So now I have something to look up and research when we're done it's here. It's something to watch with your kids maybe as George Lopez and okay. Carmen from Spy Kids in it. And Taylor Lautner. Okay. <laughs> Definitely going to have to do some research on that. Um, but also back to what you're saying about the uh, is is the tricky part, and, and this is my mind thinking, you know, you say write down those three things. People actually have to do that action and make those three things a tool for them to use. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I find the things that I do, somebody can give me something as what seems as simple as putting three things on a card and keeping them accessible. So then when I go hit those train tracks of stress and things, I can get it out. But sometimes I find that I just don't do it. I don't know why. I can probably give you a thousand reasons at the time why like, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. But to me, the challenge would be just to get people to do that and learn to use it as a tool. Mm -hmm. We are creatures of habit. And yep. so it, it can be very hard to, you know, change those. And within that, just finding a way to make it as simple as possible, as easy as possible. So if you're listening to this now, like just do it right now, you know, take out a piece of paper, write it down that, you know, doing it in the moment and then just easing access to it. You know, if you don't want to carry around a card, take a picture of it on your phone. That way you can have that come up and just building that habit that way it seems like in this situation like negative self-talk is almost a passive like response but then we're subverting it with an active positive self-talk is there i guess i have never experienced this are there people that have passive positive self-talk it can be built yeah <laughs> it can be built so that's yes. crazy to me i never <laughs> had even thought of that <laughs> i'm gonna tomorrow cool we're gonna ask you tomorrow to write down three things no you're gonna you're gonna do it before we leave today and okay I'm, and i'm not gonna ask you till tomorrow to see if you've done it and you need to do the same thing to me okay mm -hmm. and we're gonna see how accessible it is yeah well i don't think it can be built in a day i'm just thinking like every time that i've thought about it it's like my passive my passive like self-talk has always been like negative and i have to like think about challenging it mm -hmm. but I don't know. It's just a weird concept to me that there might be some people out there that like their passive self-talk is positive. But I mean, I've only lived in my own brain, so. It's true. <laughs> but no, I'm just going to challenge to see if you've written down, wrote three things down. Mm -hmm. And then 
We'll bring him down to let Chris evaluate them and see if he did a good job or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like it's like going to the gym and building muscle. So, you know, the more repetitions you get in it or you get of it, you know, just be be uh, it grows that habit, you know, in the same way, like either like brushing your teeth or waking up with your alarm, going to class that building that habit over time. Some people have told me, I mean, you can let me know, Chris, that resiliency in general, resilience is like a muscle. Mm -hmm. The more you can, the more you work on it, the the more, the stronger that it can get. So then when you need it, it's there. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of think about it, I look at it as a, for athletes, like, you know, there's workouts that they do where they engage certain muscles and they may not use them on every play or on every set or on every lap. Mm -hmm. But then when you need it, there's strength there. And when called upon, it can work and work effectively. Mm -hmm. Is resiliency the same way? I think so okay. to, to an extent. So I, I think, you know, certainly that it's built over time, it's developed. I, I want to kind of contextualize it. Kind of the flip side of that is um, just also disentangling the perspective of like, I always need to work harder mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. um, we can also experience burnout. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when individuals, you know, come to me and say like, I want to build my resiliency, I'll usually start on the burnout side. Um, because when we feel uh, burnout, you know, that sense of emotional, physical, mental exhaustion, it becomes really hard to be resilient. Mm -hmm. So within that, it's kind of having that foundational um, support. And so within that, you know, about reducing burnout, sleep can be helpful there. Um, also eating. So there's this idea of um, visceral states that, you know, how we're feeling in the moment that impacts how we feel. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're hungry, it's like that Snickers commercial, it becomes really hard to focus on the challenges ahead of you. When, you know, you're thinking I haven't eaten, it impacts our mood as well. So we can find ourselves being either more um, irritated, sad, stressed, or angry. So what are some signs like of burnout? Mm -hmm. So with burnout, it's there's a couple of different models. The one I like the best is kind of this four area of just this sense of exhaustion. So maybe you're finding it more difficult to get out of bed in the morning. Maybe you're sitting down to study complete assignments and just feeling like, you know, I don't want to do this right now. I'm not feeling motivated. Another is a sense of um, just reduced sense of accomplishment. You might be, you know, getting a lot done in your classes, doing well, but just feeling like I don't do enough or mm. aren't maybe proud of accomplishments that if you're recognizing your thinking begin to change, that checking in with yourself, you know, am I exhausted? Do I need to rest? Another area is a sense of depersonalization or disconnected, maybe feeling more just disconnected from others, disconnected from your program, disconnected from your major. And then also the final area is just, you know, if you're finding yourself becoming more negative, you know, you're finding things um, that maybe didn't irritate you as much in the past or causing you to feel more irritated, feeling more irritated with friends, having negative expectations about classes, you know, negative expectations of yourself or the world. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself feeling some of those, those burnout, like some of the things you just mentioned, you're, you're having some of those characteristics. Is there a time where, you know, some people can get burnout, you know, and they don't need to seek out any kind of professional help or resources like therapy or counseling. Mm -hmm. But is there is there a time where people might think, OK, I'm, I might need to reach out and get some professional resources involved. Mm -hmm. When would that time be? If you can answer mm -hmm. that, I guess. I would say if, you know, you're beginning to have 
that question, I think that's a good idea to, mm-hmm. you know, reach out to counseling services or reach out to other resources on campus that, you know, if you're beginning to have that question, it's always, you know, best to, you know, seek out that professional support at that time, especially, you know, if you're noticing it being more than, you know, kind of one day of, you know, having a few days where you're feeling more sad or down or really anxious, mm-hmm. or even if it is on that single day of, you know, you're feeling you're overwhelmed or just so exhausted and things of feeling, I, I should probably talk to you yeah. know someone about that would encourage everyone to do so. What does self-talk look like when someone's burnout? Like how do we, how do we shift self-talk when you're experiencing burnout? So a um, couple of different ways and I'll kind of answer what probably my first recommendation with that is self-compassionate self-talk. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes there can be that idea that, you know, it's becoming more common. You'll see it on social media a lot about that sense of like toxic positivity, this idea of, you know, I say something positive to myself and it doesn't help or someone's sort of like trying to encourage someone else and just not, you know, being empathetic in the moment. So also, you know, self-compassion, the way Kristen Neff describes it is a sense not of judging ourselves positively or negatively, but relating to ourselves kindly. And so within that, you know, some self-compassionate talk would be, this is really hard right now. Like um, maybe I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling exhausted and just having that recognition and validation for yourself that can be really helpful and powerful. Within self-compassion as well, um, there's kind of that three areas. The first one touching on is self-kindness. The other is uh, mindfulness. And then the third is common humanity. And so oftentimes when we're feeling overwhelmed or exhausted, we can start to feel isolated. Maybe we can have thoughts like, no one understands this, no one else goes through it. And I also disentangle common humanity within that. It's not the sense that others um, are, others struggle, so I shouldn't be struggling. What it is, is this recognition that all individuals go through suffering. So I'm allowed to, um, you know, uh, just understand I'm struggling now, or I'm having challenges now, and having that kind of validation for yourself um, can be really powerful Mm -hmm. um, because if, you know, you're trying to maybe like snap your mind into thinking more positive, that may just create additional sadness or stress of, you know, recognizing it um, being a process and struggles come along the way. Huh. So, so it seems almost as if like there's two forms of self-talk, like before adversity, that's when you tell yourself like, oh, I can do this. And like, I don't know, kind of that motivation. But then if you're experiencing burnout, that's when that kind of self-talk can turn into toxic positivity. Am I hearing that correctly? It could be. It depends you know, on the individual that each person's unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are some of the themes that we can see. Um, there's also what I would call a third um, you know, perspective on self-talk. And so that's this idea, which is called cognitive diffusion. So the way I describe cognitive diffusion, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, in the military, like a bomb diffuser. So, you know, what they're doing, they're disabling that bomb. So, you know, they're going in they're um, you know, like in the hurt locker, they're, you know, cutting wires, taking away the power of that bomb. So that's kind of the same thing that can happen with thoughts. It can be a helpful strategy. So we have this belief that 
like you are your thoughts and to a certain extent, yes, but it's not the full truth because you're not every thought. Like maybe for example, you were driving, you know, someone pulled right in front of you. Maybe you had some anger at them, you know, wanted to maybe hit them or something, but you didn't, you probably didn't get out of your car and hit them. So in that sense, you're not all of your thoughts. And so what can happen in thought challenging is we can sometimes get in this tug of war with our thoughts. Like say for example, you're having that negative thought of like, I can't do this. So you challenge it with, yes, you can. But then that you know negative thought comes back again that no, you can't. And so maybe you spend 10 minutes trying to challenge this thought um, and finding it's not as useful. So that's when cognitive diffusion can be helpful. So to say it differently, imagine like your mind is the sky. So within that, you know, the blue sky up above, if you imagine that's your mind and clouds are your thoughts. So the mind, that blue sky is always the same, but what changes are the thoughts. And that's kind of the same way what happens with our mind. So, you know, some days like today, it's going up to like 74, it's sunny. So there's kind of like white puffy clouds going through. So that can be our mind at times with those positive thoughts. But then also, you know, there's dark stormy days here in Kansas, you know, some of those spring thunderstorms and stuff. So, you know, we all go through those dark stormy periods um, with thoughts. But, you know, those thoughts are always changing, but that sky's the same. So what diffusion is, it's that recognizing, you know, you don't have to believe you're that thought in that moment. So rather than challenging that thought, is you accept the thought and have it go through your mind. So when I say acceptance, I don't mean that, you know, you believe it or think that thought is always going to be that way, but that's the thought that's there now. And instead focusing back on your tasks at hand. And another way of thinking about it, if you imagine, you know, you're a ship in a storm, so you can either spend that whole storm trying to bail out the water that's, you know, maybe accumulating around you, or you can focus on that sail of sailing out of the storm. So maybe your shoes, your feet might be a little wet, but you're gonna come through that storm as long as you keep focusing on that, that storm will come out or, um, so within doing that, that can be a helpful strategy. So a way of doing cognitive diffusion it's a three-step process. So it begins with first recognizing that negative thought. So maybe um, I'm nervous that this exam isn't going to go well. And so within that recognition, you then want to create distance from that thought. So the second step is I'm having the thought that. So by saying to yourself, I'm having the thought that, you're beginning to create distance from that thought to, in that same way, make uh, your mind be back to that blue sky above. And so, for example, I'm having the thought that I'm nervous, I'm not going to do well in this exam. To take that even a step further, that third thought is I'm noticing I'm having the thought that. And within that, um, by noticing that thought, uh, you're creating that third step of that distance. And then that thought loses some of that power and then redirecting on the task at hand. So like becoming the observer of the thought in a way like takes away some of its permanence, which is in mm -hmm. a sense, like believing that something is permanent gives it a lot of power because mm -hmm. I mean, Point. I don't know anything that's permanent, but sometimes they mm -hmm. like to put permanence on things and then they <laughs> yeah. become a lot more powerful. Mm -hmm. I look, so, I think of it too, as is, is, sports psychology with a sports metaphor, you know, um, when you watch high school, well, it can be any really age athlete. I think of like college and NFL and things. When 
the player can start processing things and has sees noticeable patterns. The game, they say, slows down for them, mm-hmm. and it kind of clicks for them a little bit more, and they can have a little bit more control over what they're going to do. They might know what where to go and things of that nature. Kind of seems like it could be the same thing with this. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to probably be great or you know the best at it right away it's something you have to work on and things will slow down and things will click and things will make sense and you'll learn how to notice it and you'll learn how to use it as a tool and a resource Mm -hmm. definitely i think of um kind of resiliency sports psych of kind of being like a chessboard and Mm -hmm. so we have each of these pieces and you know they've got certain moves and so for example you know that um rook that castle in the end can go you know the length of the board but you can only go upwards or sideways and so within that these interventions can be helpful in some ways um but they create some gaps and so the more kind of comprehensive and utilization of these things over time it can slow it down so it can make those interventions more effective as well as having a number of ones that can be useful in the moment this place chess he runs across the nation <laughs> he's in sports psychology uh you know i don't think i could spell rook and you're talking about the movements on a chessboard, so that's pretty impressive um i kind of want to go back to a couple of things with the with the three c's because mm-hmm. that's something i thought that was really really interesting um and i kind of want to start with commitment you mm-hmm. know it seems like you know when you talked about commitment it can be built by considering what is important to you what do you what does that mean and with that, can connect to a simple but really complex question of, you know, what is your why? Mm-hmm. So within that, what is your why? Maybe that's your academic program. Maybe it's your meaning to life. Maybe it's, um, you know, getting through this class that maybe you're having some challenges. But by um, connecting to your why, it can be really important and helpful in creating that sense of resiliency because connecting to that why connects to a deep core of who we are. Mm -hmm. And that deep core of who we are drives a lot of what we do. So within that, that can be helpful in creating that motivation, creating that effort, hard work to, you know, persist even when it's challenging to keep moving forward. So um, some ways I do with that of, you know, asking individuals, what's your why is come up with, um, you know, a couple priorities, like what are maybe the, you know, couple most important things to yourself now. Also connecting to your why can also be helpful to, you know, think back um, at times in high stress when wanting to build resiliency, we can kind of forget about all the things we've accomplished. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be helpful to take that look back of, you know, what have you done over this time with this and, you know, recognizing our accomplishments, the strengths we showed then that can be really helpful in keeping that commitment, building that commitment and continuing to build that resiliency. Okay. So the first C was commitment, or I guess, does the order matter with the C's? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yep. So commitment, <laughs> challenge, easy. control. Yep. Commitment, <laughs> You just put them in your own order. I just put them <laughs> in my own order. Hey, that works. Um, moving on to challenge. Um, how would you define challenge? Challenge, I would say, is a sense of that um, I am pushed or I am needing to think or I am needing to um, really grow through what's occurring. Hmm. And I also think challenge within that definition is that challenge is necessary for each of us. And that within challenges, seeing change disruptions as opportunities to learn and grow. 
And within that sense of challenge, um, the hardiness model uses it in a sense of like low, medium, high. A sense of low challenge is just our connection to challenge. So low sense of challenge is that I'm disconnected or I avoid challenges. High, medium challenge is, you know, sometimes challenge can, can be useful. High challenge is the sense that I thrive under situations in which I'm forced to think, to grow, to react, and that within that range that can be useful for um, helping redirect our attention and that um, impacts uh, how we just view failure as well, that if you have a high sense of challenge, you know, you're less likely to, you know, walk away when failures occur or if things take longer than expected. Hmm. So that brings us to the third C. Uh, I believe it is control, I think, is, is the third one. We've done commitment challenge. So when we talk about resilience and we say control, what does that look like? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. A sense of control is the sense that you can create the outcomes in your life. And we have... Uh, when we think about control, we have a complex relationship with control that as people, we want to control everything and that, you know, in life, there are a lot of things that are outside of our control. You know, we can't control the behaviors of others. We can't always control, you know, the weather, things that happen with circumstances in life. And so we can get in kind of this binary thinking that because I can't control this, I can't control anything. Um, within control is um, making choices and accepting responsibility to create the sense of life we would like, as well as this belief that we can create that and that it may not be this kind of cookie cutter picture perfect way as we always maybe want it to be, but within that of really willing to put in the time, the effort and having that belief that, you know, this will pay off, this will build my resiliency, and this will get me to where I would like to be. When you when you talk about control, I think about, and something we've talked about with other guests on here is when you, COVID-19, the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, the control piece of that, some of that is completely out of our control. And mm -hmm. I, we always talk about how, or we've always said, you know, I hope we do uh, a self-reflection after this, and COVID was very challenging, and it still is very challenging, but we've, demonstrated some great resilience through this whole thing and i think when when you say control when you're talking about the three c's i go to that with with the global pandemic with COVID 19. Mm -hmm. you know that's something we had no control over mm -hmm. you know and um i hope like i said we do that that kind of self, that reflection afterwards and do a little bit of an after action review and we can find how we exhibited our resilience when something was out of our control mm -hmm. how do we build control or is that even the right way to phrase it build control Mm -hmm. So that could be um, done in a couple of different ways. And so that could be self-talk. It could also be goal setting. So goal setting can be a really good strategy as well of, um, you know, setting step by step, like creating kind of like a staircase of um getting to that end point. So within goals, also kind of with COVID of, you know, that was the pieces out of our control. What we could control is, you know, what we do on campus, mm -hmm. how we approach classes. And so within that, that idea of this staircase with goal setting is, you know, what's that outcome? Where is kind of that end point and really stepping down the staircase and, you know, what are, the time goal. So what are the goals for two months from now, four months from now, eight months from now to get down to there? 
as well as um, process goals. So process goals could be daily goals. It could be weekly goals. It's a sense of kind of, you know, starting these wheels um, that will get, um, that will build that commitment, that will build the, um, the habit to get to where one wants to be. And as well, um, performance markers uh, can be helpful. So whether that's connected to those timely ones of just, you know, needing to get to that point. So say, for example, you know, I want to run a mile in under seven minutes, maybe I'm wanting to get to nine minutes, maybe in two months, get to eight minutes and a month after that, and that the process goals could be I run four days a week. Mm. That's physically impossible, right? Turning a mile in seven, <laughs> under seven minutes. No. Yeah. What's the record like? Yeah. Under four? Oh, yeah. It's like 343. Yeah, yeah. It's like no. insane. They're like flying around the track. This then. is another <laughs> like fact check too, but I think the first high schooler to ever break the four minute mile was Jim Ryan from Kansas. From Kansas. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jim mm -hmm. Ryan. I, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say that's a fact. Okay. Until someone calls me on it, <laughs> I'm but, gonna I'm gonna say that's a maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. A cold I, maybe. <laughs> I, I didn't come through as confident as I wanted to. Um, well, so kind of moving on. There seems to be like two different parts of resilience: persistence and bounce back. I think mm -hmm. you've mentioned both of them. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the difference? Mm -hmm. So persistence is this idea of continuing to push forward, kind of these three C's of hardiness, how we view stress, to this idea of keeping moving forward. But this idea of bouncing back, I, I think of it as how one handles failure and how um, within that is also, there's gonna be times in life where, you know, it just kind of are completely thrown out of whack, maybe needing to kind of completely re rewrite your goals, completely rewrite, you know, things that have happened within life. Maybe that can be death of family members. Maybe that can be, um, you know, failing a class or something that just kind of completely rocks the world underneath you that just makes you in those moments shift perspective and grow and um, using that to, um, adjust and continue towards that hardiness piece still. I'm also wondering, um, so we've talked a lot about like how, how we build resilience, how we use resilience. Do you have any examples in your own life when these have come in handy? Yeah. Um, so I can share one example was I, uh, I completed my second master's program. So it was after the one Greece, Germany, I did a master's in Tel Aviv in Israel and conflict resolution. And so within that, I applied to a PhD program. So I thought, okay, like um, I should be able to get in somewhere. I will you know, be able to get in. And then I got rejected from the mm -hmm. um, schools I applied to. And so um, within that, I, didn't know where to go. So I ended up moving home for a year and I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be able to work for a year pretty easily. And then applied a ton of places, interviewed a bunch of places and everywhere was like, you either don't have enough experience or you're overqualified. Mm -hmm. So within that, um, it was uh, maybe January, February of having living home for a few months, still unemployed, mm -hmm. kind of completely out of money. And then went back to actually a job I had held at 17, which is like a convenience store. And so 
I applied there. They didn't want to hire me either because I was still, they, they described me as overqualified. And then I had to literally beg, beg for this job, like not hands and knees beg, but I had to, you know, they, uh, the manager I was speaking to was pretty clear. She's like, we don't want to hire you. We think, um, you know, you won't work that long. So I literally had to say, please hire me. Like I will work as hard as possible. Like I just need to be able to work. And so she hired me and, um, kind of felt kind of this huge sense of kind of challenge and that, um, didn't expect it's where I would want to, where I would be at this point and, you know, needing to, um, just continue on at that point. And then I worked as hard as I possibly could, was able to save up, applied to doctoral programs again, did end up getting accepted. Um, but kind of, that was definitely a huge low of, you know, expecting to be in this doctoral program, you know, expecting this next step and feeling like needing to take, you know, eight steps back and going back to this job um, and things. So that I think is uh, one example that comes to mind. What did your self-talk look like during this time? The good and the bad. The good and the bad. Um, <laughs> so I would say good self-talk um, at times was you'll figure this out, just push with it, stick with it, um, as well as I, I can still remember the, the first day, like I walked into, you know, this this old, old job going back there and just kind of saying to myself, like, this is really tough right now. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't feel like there was anything I could do to magically shift my perspective on that, make me feel better in those moments, but just kind of accept that and not acceptance is like a resignation, but acceptance of like, this is the reality right now, making the most of it as well as um, a lot of those places. I think the negative self-talk was, um, you know, applying to these places, thinking I, you know, could make a really big difference there, feeling really excited. And then, you know, them telling me you're not qualified for this or, you know, we think you're overqualified. So we're going to go in a different direction of just kind of feeling pretty frustrated of mm -hmm. like, you know, this isn't working. I don't know why. Like, I'm just not going to get a job. So those were kind of the, the tougher self-talk times of it. Something I took out of what you just said, you know, and I think you said you felt a sense of challenge. Mm -hmm. um, typically, I would, you know, I, I like that, but typically I have a sense of failure, mm -hmm. you know, but you phrase it a sense of challenge. And that's where that, that resiliency piece, you can tell that you've worked on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that perspective, you know, changing your perspective as seeing it as a sense of challenge. I think mm -hmm. um, that's something I got found really interesting because typically people would say a sense of failure. Mm -hmm. um, but I like that that way you phrase it as a sense of challenge. Mm -hmm. And then that's a whole probably kind of the whole goal of resiliency and what we're talking about today, yeah. mm -hmm. how to see things from a challenge perspective as opposed to, like you said, a failed or failure perspective. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, well, I, you know, I really like that. But I, I want to ask you, so who is someone that has modeled resiliency for you? Who's someone that you've noticed? Mm -hmm. So I think someone that comes to mind, my younger brother. So he had a kidney transplant. So um he was born with, in 1992, what's called hypoplastic kidneys, which means his kidneys never developed. So they didn't function properly. And so they knew at birth, he was pretty sick, kind of told my parents uh, he might not make it, kind of prepare for the worst. Um, but uh, he was able to get a transplant in 1996. Um, so it was like, I think, going on three, going on four at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but just, 
you know, having that be part of his life from, you know, the moment he was born of uh, these concerns about his health, never was down about it, never was negative. Um, you know, he always just had a positive perspective on that and just kind of this sense of um, resiliency that, you know, uh, with things needed to be adjusted in school and things like that, that, you know, he never kind of had um a negative kind of outlook on it. And then he had some kind of health issues later on with kind of his skin and mm -hmm. they couldn't figure it out. And it kind of knocked him out from being able to work and things like that. And so I think that was definitely a challenge for him. He definitely had some, you know, times of feeling down, but he, you know, he would work through that, took the time to Except, um, not except in like a negative way, but just, you know, being in that experience mm -hmm. and when having no possibility of getting out of it and that um, he was able to then get a job. He, he had completed college, but he was able to get a job at a local library and get to full time work and sort of. Um, as his health got better, mentally, he felt better too. And kind of like being able to crawl out of, you know, what's occurring and yeah. being to a place of thriving. You know, and you said, you talk about your, your brother's resiliency that he exhibited or resiliency that he, that he showed the family resilience mm -hmm. as well. It sounds like for the people around, mm -hmm. around your brother and especially yourself, the resiliency there was also something that mm -hmm. came into play as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, most definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some, you know, you said, what are some ways maybe your brother or your family showed resilience during this, you know, I shouldn't say during that time because it sounds, but during that time mm -hmm. or, you know, um, you know, what are some ways people can be more resilient? I think one way of building resiliency as well is building a sense of connection with others. I think that mm -hmm. was really helpful. Um within our family too, is, you know, just talking openly about what's occurring. I kind of think of it like, you know, if you're walking around holding a boulder and that if you're able to kind of share some of that weight with others of speaking about those challenges that can be really powerful and help to make a positive difference there as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of our conversation has been about like how people themselves can build resiliency. But if you're someone like on the outside looking in, like if you, in your position, like to your brother, what are some ways that we can foster resiliency in others? I think, um, to that question, I always think of Brene Brown uh, initially. So some of you may have seen that video on mm -hmm. kind of the difference between sympathy, empathy. Mm -hmm. And I yep. think the most powerful thing you can do for others is to be present, to witness their experience. And that um, oftentimes in pain challenge that it isn't about like saying the right thing or doing the right thing, but just being willing to witness and be with individuals during that time. I think people um, natu naturally are incredibly resilient. So I think if we're able to you know, be with them and just be present, speak with them in those moments, that can really go a long way. Mm -hmm. One of one of the things we said earlier when addressing burnout was self-compassion, but I guess just compassion when mm -hmm. someone else is experiencing burnout can be really helpful as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We show the Brene Brown video, Sympathy versus Empathy, and just about 85% of the trainings that we've done this semester. I've seen it every day, probably for like the last two months. <laughs> you, you know, and that and when you say that, it, it encourages myself and I hopefully it encourages Cole that, you know, something that we're trying with our student mental health outreach group, the Thrive Navigators, is what we're trying to do is we're trying to establish when we go out and do a, a presentation for a group, or the navigators, and when we present to a group, we just want to 
we were trying to instill in people how to first recognize somebody that may be in some kind of distress, especially mental health distress, how to communicate with them, and then exactly what you're saying, how to be there with them. I think I'm going to say this the wrong way. So Cole, you're going to need to maybe help me, but Cole's got a part in in the presentation we do in the, in the navigators that covers, you know, they know the situation they're in. So let them be the expert in it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, does that sound right? Yeah. So I kind of like to think about it as if you were talking to, uh, well, even yourself, uh, like any subject matter expert, somebody who knows a lot about the field of study that they're in, like, I'm never going to tell a rocket scientist how rocket science work because I'm a social worker. Yeah. And so it's best to learn from other people what their experiences and what their field of study is. So I, I don't know, just asking questions and not expecting yourself to have the answers that are supposed to be theirs anyway. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so, I, oh, good. I Sorry. think one of, yeah, the most powerful things you can say to someone in those moments are, this is really tough right now, or this is really hard right now. And that can, you know, make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I, I've kind of, as we've been talking, been splitting them up into like three categories. So, like, we have self talk, which is like, like positive reaffirmations um, of yourself, then self-compassion, and then um, cognitive diffusion, which I kind of like colloquially named, mm -hmm. um, like distancing yourself from negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. And it seems that self-talk is maybe the most prevalent way people think of dealing with adversity mm -hmm. or the thing that, I don't know, comes most from the outside, but like it seems that self-compassion and distancing yourself from negative thoughts, at least for me and people that I've talked to, seems to be more difficult than the self-talk portion. Mm -hmm. And almost that self-talk is is built on top of a pre-existing like cushion of compassion for yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. That was a big word, colloquial. Did mm -hmm. I even say that right? I know it's it's honestly well because like colloquial is like go. layman's terms, mm -hmm. but it, but it's a too big of a word to be. It's like an oxymoron. Because whenever you use it, it's not a layman's term, but no, but what, no, what you just said there, Cole, and what I thought was interesting was, you know, self-talk, I think there's a lot of information, like self-talk is something people have heard of before. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to get behind that. It's easy to understand a little bit about self-talk. Um, but you know, that self-compassion, things like that, there's maybe not as much knowledge out there. And that's why it's mm -hmm. great that Chris came on here and brought it up and talked about it. Cause that's what we want to do. We want to introduce new um, ideas, new concepts to people um, so they can try to integrate them into their lives, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what I think is exciting. I'm really excited about that. I like to think of it sometimes too, as like a music library, like the different skills we have and the different skills we use. So like, I like Owl City a lot, which is, um, Something that if you you were like in elementary school during the early 2000s, you'll know. Mm -hmm. um, but I still enjoy Owl City. But Owl City is not an artist that I can listen to 100% of the time. I cannot survive just on Owl City music. I need I need like the yeah, yeah, yeahs. I need Paramore. I need Lizzo sometimes. But I can't always be listening to one person. And I can't always be using one, I guess, resiliency skill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I try to use self-talk as the only resiliency skill when self-compassion and cognitive diffusion are also very useful. Screw it, put it. So we've been going for almost an hour um, and I feel like we've covered a lot about resiliency and resilience and we've given people a lot of things to think about, tools, tips and resources, things of that nature. Um, 
But Chris, we're going to turn it over to you. What final words would you have? What is something that when people listen to this, is there a takeaway that you're thinking or anything you want to make sure that you incorporate into this episode of Thrive at Kansas State University? And I think within that, Chris, the, if, if looking to build that um, really deep sense of resiliency, feeling really rooted in that and developing towards your goals and, you know, creating that as part of a lifestyle, I think the foundation within that is taking care of yourself. And so within that, that's, you know, getting enough sleep. That's also eating um, a positive diet. Um, so getting those three meals a day. Um, as well as staying hydrated, avoiding overuse of substances. And so within that, if you have that foundation built, that makes it a lot easier to develop these skills. And I think, you know, starting there and having that build upon itself, that will provide, I think, the kind of largest aspect of difference in that, as well as taking breaks. I know uh, more recently there's been perspectives on like, no days off, working seven days a week. That is a cure. That is a direct direction to burning yourself out. So taking time to rest as well, taking breaks, doing things you enjoy. I think those are foundational to building resiliency. Take care of yourself. Every podcast that we've talked, we've had guests on subject matter experts. For me, that's always been a common theme so far. Then mm-hmm. just shows how important it is. Yeah, pour from a full glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, we really, really appreciate it. This has been great. Um, Again, this is going to probably be something that we play during our resiliency month called Relevant Resilience. Um, Just to set a good baseline and to give people ideas and a good foundation on what resiliency is, uh, maybe what it isn't, um, but also how to build resilience in one's own life. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you both. Mm -hmm.